Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show and this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with the Constitution, freedom, the American way, and frankly, just the best way to live your life. That's what I always say. And today I want to uh, introduce a, a guest, uh, a man named Mike Allers, who's running for the Virginia State Senate in 2023. And this is going to be the 28th district. We're going to get to know him and what he's all about and find out what the 28th district is and, and what the plans are or what Mike's plans are for the 28th district. And he's an interesting guy. I was immediately drawn to him because uh, when the primaries were going on here uh, this last year, I did some campaign work, many of you know, for Gina Ciarcia, who is running for the uh, United States Congress. And unfortunately, she did not win that seat, which is unfortunate because I think she's a great candidate. But I was doing some speaking on her behalf. And one night I was out in Culpeper and got up and did a presentation. And another man did a presentation, that man being Mike Allers. And he got up and he was talking about how he was running for the state Senate, uh, which was interesting because everybody else in the room was running for the United States Congress. But it attracted me because, hey, I'm running for the state Senate in a different district, but uh, he is a former police officer and an, an educator, which you're going to hear all about. And of course, that attracted me as well. And I, his message immediately resonated with me. And we talked for quite a while after that meeting that night. And I just thought, I mean, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. And I wanted to have him on the show so you all could get to know the Mike Allers that I've gotten to know. And so with that, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a fun night. And, it was um, uh, immediately uh, I saw you as a not a surrogate as a candidate, and that, that that's what we, I think we spent like an hour and a half talking in the parking lot. So that was that was a, an immediate you know like minded kind of thing. So. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Yeah, no, appreciate it. And uh, likewise, and we are like-minded. Is as we go down the issues, I can see where you and I are almost in lockstep on the on these issues. And it was not planned. It was just that's just how we are. Uh, the vision for Virginia, uh, ultimately, and the vision for Virginia. And I've said this on other podcasts. My goal is to make Virginia the Commonwealth. Uh, the beacon for the rest of the nation, you know, uh, dem demonstrate what you can do, what is possible in government to help the people and, and help the people as much as you can. Because ultimately, that is the, the role of the government. It's the protection of the people and it's to help the people. And Mike and I are really in lockstep in, in those issues. And so if you go to Mike's webpage, his Facebook page, and he also has a webpage, but he talks about his main platforms are education, uh, anti-taxes, being pro-police pro and first responders. And we'll talk about that extensively. Also pro-life, which many of you know, if you've been under a rock, the uh, federal government now is kicking all of this back to the states when it comes to uh, the pro-life movement and abortion issues. Uh, that's a hot topic, but it's going to the states. So that's going to be an issue for both Mike and I. And of course, the Second Amendment, which is also, all of these are big issues, Mike. All of these are. Uh, maybe, okay, before we kick into the issues, can you tell the listeners, what is the 28th district? Where, where, where are we talking about in Virginia? Okay, 28th district recently carved out uh, this year. Um it comprises Spotsylvania, at least a good portion of it, uh, comes over to Orange County, then to Green County, north to Madison and Culpeper, a little bit west to Rappahannock County, and then finally Fauquier County as well. It's a pretty big swath. Um, it's five out of seven of those counties are also, can also be found in the 7th Congressional District. That's why you and I actually originally crossed paths. And it's pretty large, 300 plus thousand folks. Um, it's very diverse as far as economics. It's got a quite a large agrarian uh, population as far as the folks involved in agriculture that, for their living. Um, it's generally found to be a conservative district. I would say it still leans that way uh, in a positive sense. And uh, certainly... Folks throughout the uh, district are family-oriented. They are certainly pro-Commonwealth, you know, Virginia first slash America first uh, as well, folks. And so we're talking patriots, and it's a pleasure to get out there and speak to them. And um, to become their state senator is certainly my goal. 
and my only goal. And, I, and I'm gonna, I say that because of the fact that too often folks run for office or they secure an office, um, much like the guy I'm definitely going to be running against, and they secure an office and then use it as a springboard to run for something else. And I've said repeatedly to folks, this is my goal to be a state senator. I'm not running with something else in mind. I'm not running, you know, to hopefully then make uh, an impact on a national level. I want to help the Commonwealth. And so that's where I'm going. Yeah. And I know uh, speaking to the, the demographics of the people that you're talking to and the issues that are important to them, the night that you and I met, I, uh, well, I, I'll tell you, I was talking about the border and I was talking about mm-hmm. uh, fentanyl and I was talking about uh, opiates and, and drugs. And and even though I mentioned the border and I mentioned it that night, and of course that was for a congressional race, but uh, sure. this, this has implications for Virginia as well, because it, those of you that haven't been following the news, uh, that, that this is today is July 7th. And so we just had the 4th of July weekend. And of course we had this, tra- we had a tragic shooting that occurred and we almost, and a lot of people may not know this, but here in Richmond, Virginia, we almost had a horrific um, massacre as well. But there was a, a concerned citizen that came forward, reported the information. It was acted up upon by the police and, and the FBI. And these these guys, uh, and, and when I say guys, it was a couple of individuals were prevented from committing a massacre. And it turns out that these people were illegal uh, immigrants to this country, illegal immigrants. So these are people that should not have been here in the, the first place. So the border matters to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And of course, uh, fentanyl and all the, and many of the drugs, fentanyl almost exclusively, but all, a lot of other drugs and trafficking, and we'll talk about human trafficking as well, is coming across the border. And all Mike and I can do is lead from where we stand, and we are here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I know, Mike, and I'll get your thoughts on this, I know mm-hmm. that, God willing, I'm elected to the state Senate. I am going to do everything I can to ensure that the every law enforcement agency in the Commonwealth of Virginia works closely with our immigration services and our border patrol, and we will get these people that should have never been allowed into the state in the first place out of the state once they commit crimes like this. We cannot have these people. We cannot have them here. Not at all. And you know that expression at all politics are local. Well, Mm -hmm. that's kind of been stood on its head, and it's actually all national issues are now local. And specifically in your district, the 33rd, you know, heading up there in Northern Virginia and mine, that central part of Virginia, we have a number of corridors. I mean, in mine, you get, you, you could almost, I almost get to 81. You have 66, you have 95, 33, all these things that are uh, transversing Virginia and allowing the flow of drugs across the Commonwealth. And they're going unimpeded in certain cases because the police don't have the correct funding. And when you look at the border, you talk about those folks getting in at the border. Some folks are like, well, that's not our issue. It's so far from the border. You're 100% right. When you have folks like Greg Abbott, who, you know, I can't argue with what he's doing by busing people out of Texas. But when you drop them in Washington, the closest place to, for them to go is either, you know, Maryland or us. And then they're going to spill into our communities. They've been unvetted. We don't know what they possibly, the connections they may have be it MS-13 or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not besmirching every single person that comes across that border. But unless we look at each person and vet each person and, and have a sovereign border, a sovereign nation, we're not going to be safe here in the Commonwealth. And no. you're 100% right. No, we have and to vet them. We have, to, we, have, yeah. we have a right to vet who's coming into this country. We have a right to that. Yeah, we have, we, we have, a, we have certainly a right to do that. And we have a responsibility to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, but it's it takes it, it takes it takes an informed police uh, presence. You know, we don't have a good we don't have a, a a functioning state unless we abide by the rule of law, and we need to fully fund and probably overfund our police officers. Get back to where they were prior to the the left taking over and the whole defund the police movement. We need to make sure that we remove the handcuffs and we don't from them, pardon the pun, and we don't hamstring them as far as them being able to exercise omnipresence. And the other thing that's really killed a lot of police departments as far as people walking off the jobs is the fact that they are simply not 
feeling the support of their communities mm-hmm. in a sense that they're they're saying okay and, and, and in a sense where they've been certain uh, infractions especially the the traffic infractions have been redefined so now they can have certain things that they used to pull people over for I know you were once on the job as well yeah. and I am too but and and those those small infractions often led to quite you know uh, involved, you know, criminal activity. Yep. And, you know, and so that's where we learn good policing. You pull people over for those taillights. It might wind up you're pulling over a mom and, and making her aware that her taillight's out. But it also might be wind up you're pulling over someone with weapons or a, a trunk load of drugs, whatever it might be. Yeah. So I, I got to point you know, out, um, I'm going to a little, little law enforcement history to people because uh, a lot of folks may not remember this, but you remember Ted Bundy? Remember the, the serial killer? Remember him? Oh, yeah. You sure. know how he was arrested? You know what happened? We know it, it, like, and we have NCIC was developed, VICAP, all these sexy programs that were developed. Um, ba- basically, this is in the late seventies, and so they're developing mm-hmm. these programs to track um, serial killers. But the inspiration for all that was Ted Bundy. But ultimately, do you? Let me ask you this, Mike. Do you know how he was finally caught? I'm actually trying to. Was it? Was it? A, was it? A, wasn't a, a traffic stop? It was. He was in Pensacola, yeah. Florida, and he yeah. ran a red light, and he was pulled over by a police officer for running a red light. And uh, what's in, now? The folks got to remember, and the young people don't realize this because they live in a technology no. world. But we didn't have the technology. Yeah. And what happened? It was good policing. A started with a traffic stop. That's the key takeaway. And he's pulled over, and he says to the officer, Ted Bundy does. You're going to make sergeant tonight. And the officer thought, well, that's a strange comment. And uh, he went back to the car and he started making some phone calls. And he goes, I don't know. I'm not getting a good feeling about this guy. And he calls the name in and one thing led to another. And he ended up uh, arresting Ted Bundy. And then, you know, the rest is history from there. That's how he was caught. Folks, he was caught on a traffic stop. That's that's how uh, he was the, caught. What about, what about the son of Sam? Remember the son of Sam? Yeah, up Berkowitz? in New York. You, yep. you remember it? Yep. It, was, it, was a, it was a parking ticket. It was a parking ticket that led to the guy's arrest. So, I mean, that is just good, omnipresent police work. Yeah, and, if, and, and if, officers if, being trained in a way, and not being afraid to take action. Like these, in both cases, officers were given the freedom to follow up and ask questions. And, and did, we call it proactive policing, folks. That's what it's mm-hmm, called, yeah. proactive policing. Mm-hmm. And if that officer had not taken that, like, hey, something doesn't seem right here. And take the next step. We we would have never. Who knows what would have happened in both of these cases? Who knows what would have happened? So I mean, it's case both two cases in point. I mean, the the fact that that's that's the the trust we need to have for our police officers is that which they're able to do their jobs. And if they are, the Commonwealth will be a rock solid place, or at least more so. Right, and we so. can't we can't tell other states what to do, but that's mm-hmm. you know we're here in the Commonwealth, and I know that Mike and I. That if we're if we're elected to the the, the Senate here in Virginia, you're going to hear this. This is not the last time you're going to hear it. And if you're a chief or you're a sheriff or if you're a police officer or a first responder out there, we have your back. I can tell you this. Yeah, I have your back, and I know Mike has your back. Hundred percent, pro blue, hundred percent, or or whatever color your uniform is. You're right. You're serving as an officer, a constitutional officer uh, for the public. We have we're supporting you one hundred thousand percent so right now but mike and i that. also um and if there are problems and there and every large organization is going to have bad apples but i'm of the school uh, of thought that you deal with the bad apple i would i would never ever you will never hear me come after an organization itself because there are bad apples you need to clear out those bad apples and mm-hmm. um, and those of you now, I know some of you that listen to this podcast might say, "But yeah, but Mike, but you're pretty hard on the FBI." I am, but I'm what I'm. I'm hard on the individuals, and I've said this over and over and over again. I'm hard on the individuals that lack leadership within the FBI, and I've said repeatedly that those are the people that need to be removed, not the organization. We need to improve the organization, and you do that by getting rid of those bad apples. But that applies across the board. Um, now, you juxtapose that to what uh, the public is doing. The public just says, okay, bad apples, let's just get rid of, whole, rid of the whole institution. And I know Mike and I both uh, are absolutely uh, against that. You, We improve 
Let's improve what we have, okay? You don't get rid of what we have because by doing what we've tried to do over the last two years, uh, the leftists in this country have destroyed the profession. And every, Mike, every single uh, metric that you can measure in law enforcement has increased. And in some cases, homicide in the major cities has increased 400%. Okay, so that experiment failed, folks. That failed. We need to do better than that. And across the board, all the... Really, the greatest majority of these cities that are experiencing the problems they are, are blue cities. Mm -hmm. I mean, New York over the weekend, I think, had over 50 shootings. I mean, I used to live in New York, folks. It's 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 gone so far downhill under the leadership. The last two mayors and this current one was supposed to be Adams was supposed to be, you know, he's an ex-cop. He was supposed to be a breath of fresh air. And uh, it's just not the case. And you just cannot uh, have folks that are in charge making the rules for police officers, police departments to uh, run on that just are not supportive of them in theory and in presence. And it's just not working for them. So you're right. We need to we need to make sure. And if there are problems on the police department and uh, we do need to have ways of finding where the problems are and removing them. We yeah. do not need to dismantle the entire department for the actions of one or two people. No. And because in, in every, I'm an educator. So as an educator, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of teachers who are throughout the country who are doing the wrong thing, but it doesn't certainly throw a cloud over all of us. And that's, unfortunately, that's being done as well. Um, I actually have a few ideas with the police department. I think you would agree. Mm -hmm. I think education for the cops is the way to go. I would love to see Virginia develop its own police college. I would love to see a four-year degree in police science uh, that encompasses other things. I mean, you get a four-year degree, you graduate, you're in supreme shape, almost marine condition. You leave with uh, the book, Intelligence, the the understanding of the responsibility for deadly physical force, and in addition, four years of ethics training and getting to know the diverse populations and repeated opportunities to get out into the communities while you're in college. And then when you get out there, that degree could be rock solid and have reciprocity throughout the state. And I think if we do that and we find ourselves with the most educated force in the country, it's it's kind of what you let off with in in the podcast, we will find that we have a state that has a superior uh, department because of superior dedication to education. And it's, it's, it seems a no brainer to me. You can't, you can't get these kids and, you know, throw them through a 15 week Academy and expect what you could get if you put them through a four year college. Yeah, I know. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you and I both have the background to push that sort of legislation. And, of, you know, of course, I was an instructor at the FBI Academy and mm-hmm. saw the training and, and uh, taught at the National Academy. So I'm talking to the police executives, and I think it's an outstanding idea. And furthermore, uh, Mike, uh, to share with the listeners, Mike and I have talked offline about this extensively, but uh, providing training to the the smaller department, well, all the agencies, but, you, you know, for mm-hmm. those of that, that haven't worked in police work, you have small, medium, and large, you know, departments. And your larger departments, your NYPDs, LAPDs, Fairfax County here and, you know, in Virginia where we live, these are very large departments and they have their own training programs, which are excellent. Um, some of your meetings, medium size do as well. But when you get into the smaller departments, you know, we're talking budget, you know, smaller budgets and then pulling officers off the street to do training. Um, could You know, if you have 25 people in your, your department, you know, taking four or five officers after training is quite a big portion of your um of your, your manpower and you have a job to do. So uh, what Mike and I have talked about is uh, education and training, um, particularly when it comes to addiction and mental health issues and um, the state assisting in pro- providing the teams and then providing the training for these, assisting these smaller agencies get the training that they need. Um, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that a little bit, Mike. No, I just think that there's, uh, and it, there's a, another thing I'll come to it as well while we're doing this, but there's a lot of, there's a lot. My, look at myself. I, I was injured very young, so I didn't get to do the job as I figured I'd have a 30-year career. So I finished just shy of five years with the injury I received, and then you're kind of cast off. Okay, yeah. see you later. Here's your pension. <laughs> like you're gonna smile, and I'm like, 
I don't want to, you know, I even had like old timers going, oh, that's the million dollar decision. You, you got, you know, I'm like, who the heck wants to be retired at 27 years old? So the void that was left in the core of me and my desire to serve could have led me down a path that was quite self-destructive. So kind of what you, you talked about with uh, substance abuse or things of that nature that is often part of the job due to the fact that you see the worst of society in, in, in so many cases, and things can happen to you that derail your health, your, your physical abilities, things of that nature, they often lead to you trying to self-medicate, pardon, mm-hmm. the, pardon that being so tritely said. but And so we need to strengthen our departments, and we need folks to be involved in building a defense and being, like you said before, proactive, not only in our policing, but proactive in building officers who know how to handle certain situations, who can go to counselors and seek help. And it's not something that's a negative and it's not something that is seen as a weakness or, or a detriment in their character. It's something that is, look, this is a ne- it's just like our soldiers and our vets, you know, they come home quite often broken and they're not receiving nearly what they need to from the VA. We have the same thing going on in our police departments. So we need to make sure that they are strengthened and supported and counseling, you know, ad infinitum and treated treated for what might ail them uh, through what they do in their jobs. You raise so, a and- very good point, and I've never even really looked at it that way, but I think that that is a good point that we are spending a lot of time working with our veterans. And as we should, as we should, if we're going to put people in positions where they don't come out the same and they will never be the same, and they did it in the service of our nation, then they deserve our support for the service that they provided. But I don't know that that same mentality exists towards our first responders. And I'm, I'm with you, Mike. We need to start treating our first responders the way that we treat our veterans and hold them up with the same honor and give them the same services, a minimum of the same services that we're providing our our veterans. We owe them that because anybody that's worked in law enforcement knows it is a toxic profession. You're not coming out the same the other way. You're not. uh, When you get at the other end, you're not going to be the same person that started this job. I can tell you that. And you have a 30-year career as as opposed to somebody who who may have served in some, you know, uh, in maybe a four-year service in Afghanistan. Granted, it's not going to be the same for a cop that it would be as a soldier, but we do need to treat it as, you know, humans are for the most part quite fragile. And we need to understand that uh, they need to be helped uh, to keep themselves together. Yep. And I think uh, you and I, I, I'm pretty sure I shared this with you. Um, my best friend who I met at three years old um, took his life just three years ago mm. um, Cause he never, ever, he got injured on the job similar probably around a six months within six months of when I did. And when that being a police officer was removed from his you know, name, it was no longer, you know, in front of his name, he was no longer a police officer and the word disabled was applied to him and this and that blah, blah, blah. He was just, he was almost bankrupt in his personality and he just spent the next 20 years uh, being self-destructive and it then he then took his own life and he never received the correct help. It was almost ignored Mm -hmm. and it it was, he was crying out for help and trying to seek it through uh, his union, which was New York city. And um, it just was never perceived as with the same um, urgency that it would be for a veteran. Now I think the veterans should get everything they're getting. Oh, of course. Yeah. and, And more. But I do think like, you know, kind of while you were speaking, I'm thinking about the fact that maybe we could, even if we did some kind of conjoint effort, the, these these soldiers who are, you know, being treated and potentially educators, you know, educated to what, how they could, you know, overcome or, or at least deal with their PTSDs, et cetera, they could then become, you know, facilitators in helping police departments. So, I mean, you could do some kind of conjoint effort there uh, because they are, they do see quite a bit of the pit of society and the, and the, mm-hmm. the not such good side of human beings. No, so, in fact, um, I always said, I always said that uh, for your, depending on where you work as a cop, I was in Washington DC and Europe up mm-hmm. in New York. 
your average police officer sees things that if the average person saw once in their lifetime, they'd be in therapy for years. But as a police officer, you're seeing this every day. But but guess what? We're not going to therapy. Um, you're just mm-hmm. you're just you know dealing with it day after day after day. And I, Mike, I really like your idea that. And if you're a veteran out there that has been in combat and you've been struggling and you've received help and you're looking, because I talk to a lot of veterans, Mike, across mm-hmm. the state that, that tell me that they feel like there's a void or retired police officers for that matter. And first yeah. responders, and I'm not leaving out firefighters, corrections and dispatchers. All When I say first responder, I'm including everybody in there, but I do a lot of post-critical incident work. And, and people tell me that when they either they retire due to medical reasons um, or they just flat out retire, there's that void that's filled. And understand if that's you, if we're talking to you, there are things that you can do, do to serve this community and, and you're desperately needed. And Mike mm-hmm. and I both want to, uh, you know, through the state, create programs whereby this type of work can be facilitated. And we're going to be looking for people to do this because it's desperately needed. It, it, go, it goes um, without saying. And the fact that there's VA facilities, I know that new uh, one being built up there in Spotsylvania, and we need to make sure that our vets and our cops have uh, places to go. And I think the cops in the smaller departments you referenced earlier may not be receiving the same amount of help as maybe police officers on a larger job. And we need to, they all need to be receiving uh, the exact same access to help. It's that urgent. Mm -hmm. And we don't want guys walking off the job and we don't want them taking it out on their families when they get home. And we don't want them you know, going and bending their elbows with their buddies as the only source of therapy. We want them making sure that they're able to uh, deal with these horrific things that they run into on the job and uh, somehow uh, learn to not necessarily compartmentalize them, but certainly deal with them in a healthy fashion and be able to talk about it Yeah, and, yeah. and heal and heal. Cause it's not normal to see what some of these officers see. No, even on the smallest jobs. So it's um, it's really unusual. The other the other thing I, I I think I floated by you is the fact that when I was <clears throat> when I was in the police academy, they kept us longer, and we became EMTs. Mm. And you had said you, you talk about you know the the services for first responders, and the 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 mindset there. And it's another thing I would love to add on to that police college mentality, is the 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 way in making us EMTs. Cops are always the first on the scene. So we saved countless lives just by being able to automatically give these folks some kind of medical treatment, when as they'd normally have to wait for EMS to arrive. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we made the handoff. I know I made the handoff as a mom was crowning in a, a Dodge Caravan in the, uh, it was the Girl Scout cookie factory where I had my precinct and <laughs> I had I had this the, the lady, this van all set up to deliver a baby, and it made the handoff to EMS, and they took care of it from there. But the thing is, there were situations like that, car accidents or or uh, folks trying to take their own lives, whatever it might be. You know, the, the, I mean, Narcam is a very popular thing for cops to have now. But, I mean, just an assortment of things that if cops were medically trained for e, to be EMTs, it would expand the EMS um personal personnel, excuse me, that served the community, uh, double, triple it. And so, I mean, we need to look at outside the box for Virginia mm-hmm. to continue to make it a more safe Commonwealth. And it, it's, it's something we need to be, uh, you know, we, I would, I would love to see our state on the cutting edge of all of these things, especially as we talk about safety and, you know, you go back to the police, you go back to fully funding, you go back to, but you and I are talking about education and strengthening the cops from uh, a sense that they are, they can heal, et cetera, from the job and, and doing this EMT idea. All of those things can make our police departments unusual and superior to the rest of the nation. Mm-hmm. And so it would be, it would be fantastic. Oh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I'm, I'm excited about the whole prospect just sitting here thinking about it. And, and I think, you know, like who would, who would be against what you and I are proposing? Who out there? Unless you're just an ideal. Now, I know if if you are uh, people on the other side of the aisle that are running against Mike and I, of, of course, many of you, as, as we know, 
really just don't want police. <laughs> it's defunding the police and getting rid of the police. Well, uh, for the rest of the folks that are out there, uh, we've we've had that experiment, and this is almost like the the last two years have been like you know leaving leaving home. Your wife and I. Uh, your, your, your wife and yourself leaving and going on vacation and leaving the kids home and they're having the, the frat party in the house and mm. they've torn the house up and, and it's just been crazy. Well, mom and dad just came home and it's time to clean up and everybody needs to go home. Um, we cannot, we cannot continue down this road. We have to do better. And here's the thing, Mike, we can do better. And we have the people that have the experience and the training to make it happen. Uh, I have spent my lifetime in the in the military and in police forces and in the FBI. I've been behind the curtain. I've seen it. You've been behind the curtain. You've seen it. We know how these these organizations operate. We know what motivates them, and we know that they training. The, we know where they need to be cleaned up, and we know what what they need. And th- if that's something that appeals to you, if you want a police and first responder community in Virginia that is superior to anything else that's out there in this country, then you might want to take a look at at some of the the folks that are coming to run for office. And by the way, Mike, I am very encouraged by some of the people that are stepping up to run for office. I think that if there's any golden nugget that has come out of the Biden administration is it's really motivated a lot of people to come forward and say, you know what, we can do better than this. And And I'm raising my hand to do better. I think you and I are people that are in that category. They've seen yeah, enough. It kind of, yeah, it's kind of the, the voice of God talking in your ear going, okay, you know, get get out there and do something. You know, um, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Harry Chapin. He was a, a kind of folk singer from the 70s, early yeah. 80s. Before yeah, I he am. Died. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he had an expression that I always, I, I always think it's, when I was a kid, it resounded with me. It's one of those things that just stuck in your craw. And he used to say, when in doubt, do something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean... Yeah, you think, and he was—he was such a humanist, and 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 out there in all sorts of human rights causes, and uh, feeding the world, and he was just—he was really a remarkable guy. Uh, in addition to be such a, a performer and songwriter, but we we do. I mean, folks like you who are—you're putting your money where your mouth is, and you're saying, "Okay, I'm going to go out there and continue this life of service of which you've already done 30 years." And you know, some folks would say, "Aren't you tired?" And you're just seems to me that you're just hitting a, a new stride. I'm ramping up. <laughs> yeah, as am I. I'm like, I got all this crazy people. Are like, well, where the heck are you getting all this energy? I'm like, to be, I'm, I'm energized by the failings of the government I've seen around me and the, yeah. and the people that have been serving. So, like you said, you do see a groundswell of these folks that never ran suddenly saying, "Okay, that's it. Lines in the sand. We're not dealing with this anymore." Yeah, you can't. You can't tell me that the novices can't do better than those of you who have been in office for an extended period of time because you've broken it. We've given you trust. You've broken it. So now it's time for regular folks, moms, dads, whomever, to take it back. And, you know, the funny thing is you you, you challenge the lefties. Who wouldn't want what you and I are talking about? Right. The thing that people don't realize also is being expanding or making a ter- terrific superior police force is also extending a remarkable amount of job opportunities and careers into communities that uh, are quite diverse. We're not seeing, you're not looking at all these, this is not going to be an overwhelming uh, response of just white police officers. This is going to be, you know, it's going to be sought after. Diversity is going to be championed because the best people that could police their communities are the people that live in the communities. So this, this is career opportunities that are going to be out there for folks if we do indeed seek a superior police force. And it will be, it will be representative of the diversity of Virginia. It'll be fantastic. And all these kids will then possibly and potentially seek careers in police work, yeah. which was once a very, very highly regarded profession. And we need to bring that back up. And, um, you know, because it did all the police, police officers, first responders, they deserve it. They do, you know, and it and, starts and, with the leaders, Mike. It, it yeah. does. It starts with the 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 leaders over the last two years have failed our first responders, and they, oh, yeah. you know, this administration in particular, and and some of our uh, Democrat friends uh, in in the Commonwealth have been very negative towards the police, and 
what we need are leaders because the to- the, the leaders set the tone for the rest of the nation, and the nation has been bad mouthing first responders because our leaders have been doing that, and that's going to I can assure you of this, and I and I'm sure I speak for you on this, Mike. Uh, if you elect me to the Senate here in Virginia, that is going to end. That is going to end. Uh, we we need to champion the people that are go that go out every day and they're willing to do a job that no one else is willing to do. Think about that. What other job do you get up uh, every day and you go out and you serve people, many of whom hate you, but yet you do it anyway with no guarantee that you're going to come home alive that night? Mm-hmm. Who else does that? That is a profession that needs to be honored, honored. And you know what? When you know, it's funny. The first person who's called by liking or folks who like cops or hate cops, the first person they call when they're in dire need of help, are the cops. First mm-hmm. people they call. So they're called by folks who like them and don't like them. And police officers sometimes enter into homes in, in which they're not very welcome, and they probably do it more often than not. And um, you're right; these are amazing, heroic individuals. And we want to grow that population. We do not want that to, you know, whittle down. Certainly. No, so not at all. That's a great point. Great point, Mike. Hey, uh, switching gears a little bit. Uh, sure. The other big thing is the the economy. We are all being crushed. Uh, none of us mm-hmm. have our, our incomes are not increasing, but inflation is increasing. Oh, Gas prices are a- increasing, which is affecting the entire nation. And again, all we can do is uh, leave from where we stand. Uh, we have this administration uh, at the federal level is going to be here for the next three years or so, two and a half, three years. Not a whole lot we can do about that. But here in the Commonwealth, we can do what we can to help the Virginians uh, get by, do more with what they have. And, of course, uh, one of those issues is taxes, you know, the dreaded taxes. And I know that that's a strong uh, point or a, a hot spot for you as well. So could you maybe cover uh, with our listeners what your stance on that is? Sure. Well, we're looking at, I mean, you could look at, you could look at things such as the fuel tax, which is really a no brainer. And I know Governor Youngkin's uh, really, really trying to address that. If not just temporarily, Uh, we need to do that in a permanent sense, but we also need to definitely protect that, which keeps Virginia uh, thriving. I mean, we do have industries in Virginia, you know, i.e. coal that allow us to have, you know, very well-paying jobs here in Virginia that have been, to be in you know, the fossil fuel industry. And we need to make sure we protect those. But other taxes we need to make sure we're aware of are that we need to be, we as conservatives, you and I alike, are fiscally conservative mm-hmm. and fiscally responsible. And when you look at the taxes folks are paying for their schools, um, I mean, the, the buzzword today, the school choice, the dollars following the student, all of those, those sentiments have arisen from the fact that folks no longer trust that school districts are being fiscally responsible with the tax dollars that are going to them. Mm -hmm. And I can't, even though I've been a public educator for 28 years, 14 of those as an administrator, I can't rightly argue with them. I can't say, well, you're not, you're not, you're not correct because we have school districts that are so loaded with fat from the top that folks are being overtaxed for their children to go to schools. And we have, I mean, I, 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 I joke that, you know, we, in school districts, we have the chief of bottle washing and things of that nature. Uh, but we do, we have too many chiefs, too many directors, too many folks who are quote unquote in charge who do not have to be there. If their jobs do not require them to go into schools, they're probably not necessary. I, I may have told you the story one time when I was the principal we used to meet once a week, and we're sitting in this particular meeting on a Thursday in Madison County, and the superintendent says, okay, anything, what good for the order? Let's have anything, any last thoughts, whatever he said. And I said, let me just ask you a question. If we could be here every single week at the same time, and all the administrators in the district can be here, and we're leaving our schools in the charge of guidance counselors or tech guys or whatever it might be, and we think that if there's an emergency that those folks will handle it, are we in fact all necessary? 
and you could have heard a pin drop. You really could have heard a pin. They're all, they're all, they're all looking at me like I'm the most sacrilegious like, guy. Write his name. Down. Get that guy's name. <laughs> Wait, we didn't, we didn't get a, we didn't get a harumph out of that guy. But I'm sitting there going, I'm sitting there going. Really, there's just too many of us. We don't. We need more teachers. We need more funding for for schools so schools can be superior. You and I talk about superior policing. I champion constantly superior education, and yes, that comes through competition, but it also comes from, like we want to do with the government, government, you and I, we want to shrink that government and restrictions. We want to shrink the amount of people who are paid on the district level so that we could then inflate the either the salaries or the personnel required to give our kids the best education possible. Mm-hmm. So you talk about managing taxes from that standpoint. The, the, the taxes folks pay on their home, the, the taxes folks pay on their personal property is getting exorbitant. I mean, my, what I paid this year, and, and Mike, I drive two Chevy Equinoxes and a 12-year-old F-150. I paid 20, oh wait, $2,000 this year for my personal property taxes. And that's what I drive. And that's nearly equal to what I'm paying for my home now. So I, I look at my own family and you look at my I have a 30-year-old son who this year moved uh, from Virginia because he just couldn't afford it with his young family anymore. And I have a 27-year-old and an 18-year-old as well who are saying to me, Dad, will we be able to afford to live in the Commonwealth going forward? You know, in, in 1971 in our country, uh, 61% of the country identified as middle class, 81, I think that shrunk to 59%. And then you're looking at 2001, it shrunk to 54%. Well, here we are in 2022, and we're below, if not significantly below, 50% of the mm-hmm. folks identifying as middle class. And that tells you what we're taxing people, tells you that we're taxing people to death. We have folks on the top, we have folks in historical poverty, and uh, the folks in the middle are being uh, actually forced to either somehow cling to the folks on the top or join the folks on the bottom. And without a thriving middle class where families could live in Virginia, where they could buy homes, et cetera, with incentives somehow, some something that allows them to raise their family here, Virginia's just gonna really be another problem state. And so that when we look at taxes, we need to have our eye on the prize, which my eye on the prize is keeping my children in the state in which I live. So when they have grandchildren, I get to see them as well. You know, I would like to see them have the same opportunity I had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's we have way too many regulations on. Yeah, you know, people have to understand that when Congress gets together in state legislatures, usually when they pass something, it's to restrict you more in your mm-hmm. life. And we've got to get away from that. We have to, particularly now. We need to open up after two years of COVID and shutting down. And, and I, by the way, I want to tell you this right now, that if, I, if I'm if i elected this Senate, I will champion. We will never, never do what we did uh, over the last couple of years and shut down businesses no. and, and harm people. Uh, that will not happen if I have anything to do with it because it, it, it was can, so it destructive. Cannot. So mm-hmm. destructive on so many different levels, and uh, we, we can't do that again. Uh, and we have to just – where we can – get government out of the lives of people so they can live and they can thrive economically and thrive as human beings and live the life that you're talking about. And I don't want Virginia to become another problem state. We, we mm-hmm. see the examples of states like Florida and uh, Texas and, and others. There's other states as well mm, that sure. uh, have become like the destination spots for people because, you know, people inherently just want to be free and they want liberty and they want to be left alone by the government. And that's what we need to stri- strive for is to open things up to make life as good. Our role, Mike, should be to make life as good as possible for our people and to focus on what it is that we should be doing, and that is protecting them and promoting economic prosperity. Do you, I mean, do you agree with that? Uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, where, 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 did, where did Jefferson write that, you know, that should be mm-hmm. impeded? I mean, we all should, we all have this American dream. And, you know, you look at, you look at certain populations who come here because of that. Um, and they come here because they know that they can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They know that, especially the Hispanic community and how entrepreneurial they are. Mm-hmm. They came here because they knew, compared to where they were coming from, 
they were going to be able to build a life that was non-parel. I mean, it was going to be something that was just they could they they only dreamt about. So, <clears throat> like you said, we need to restore that dream, and that dream come becomes a reality through folks getting out of your way. I mean, restriction it doesn't do anything for anyone. As mm-hmm. far as now, I understand that that doesn't mean we have a society that does not adhere to a rule of law. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about these restrictions on personal property and the fact that you got to, uh, I have to uh, like apply for a, a permit, for example, to raise chickens on my property. I have nearly three acres. I need permission. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just it, that kind of thing is just the government overreaching into things they have no business touching. Yeah. And, um, and we, we just need to make sure that we hold them accountable and remove them if they don't understand it. And, and just, you know, replace them with folks like you and I who are seeking to be folks who could restore that dream for folks in the, in the Commonwealth. And, and, you know, and not be in office for 100 years, just be guys who go serve and then go home. And we hand it off to folks of like mind who could keep the dream going beyond us. Yeah. And that's where government, you know, these folks that go there and just spend their lives there, you lose touch very quickly. Um, and that kind of harkens back to one of the points you made as far as the folks that are currently running. Each of them seem to have that common denominator that they want to serve, do a really you know, excellent job, and then go home. And I think that's by design what the founding fathers wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, because so, it's what they did. It's what yeah. they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. So, I mean, after all, George re- Washington was yeah. given the opportunity to be king of America, and, and he's, oh, he yeah. said no. He said, no, it's not what this is all about. He said, you know, you folks don't get it. I'm the role model for future presidents. I'm done. Yeah. This is it. That's the way it ought to be. Yeah, and it, you know, you don't, you don't replace one King George with another. And, um, you know, that, that's what – you're right. And, and it's not a, – a political class was never meant to be. But we have that, and that's really – done a number on all the things where you and I have been talking about. Right. Because then you get beholden to who who's paying you. And, and consequently, that's why we have our strategic oil reserves going over to China and over to India and not back to the American people. And that, that's a whole other discussion for another day, but we shouldn't be touching oh that gosh. anyway. Uh, yeah. there's, there's other strategic and military and security reasons why we even have that stuff. But that's yeah. another discussion for another day. Yeah. But, Part two, oh. three, four, and five. Yeah, yeah well, we have a, I tell you what, we have a lot to talk about. And I guess we can wrap up with this today. It's a, a lot to digest for the, the listeners. But... Uh, Mike Allers. And Mike, uh, tell the listeners how they can get hold of you and check out more information about you and, and uh, follow you. Okay. Well, my website is AllersForVASenate.com. And uh, that's, pretty the, that's pretty much the best spot to go. I would go there. Um, if, you, if you want to read a little bit more about me, and I, I hopefully you would, um, it's, it's got my stances on a number of things from uh, the Second Amendment to education, and it's certainly uh, the things I hold most dear. So please, it, it'll explain why I'm running. Uh, it'll give you some more details there. I'm also on Twitter, uh, which is you know it's getting more popular again. It, it had I think Twitter had kind of died out there for a while, mm-hmm. but my my handle is at Mike Allers A L L E R S Senior. Uh, and you'll see my opinions. You know, I made, I, I, I tweet uh, quite often today. I was tweeting about the NEA and their, their, their thoughts that changing the word mother to birthing parents are a really good decision. And we can get into that another time. But um, education is something that is, is certainly something that's in my wheelhouse. And I hope, Mike, uh, you and I can talk about that at another time because that's really where my expertise uh, as a state senator would uh, certainly be, um, like I said, in my wheelhouse and something that will definitely, I could definitely help the Commonwealth move forward with more competitive superior schools for all children, not just public schools, Catholic schools, Christian schools, whatever it might be. So that's something I would, I would definitely want to speak at, at length about going forward. 
But yeah, let's do so, it. Uh, let's do a number of, of podcasts on that, particularly as we start ramping up. Because, folks, sure. this, this election is in 2023. Now, we have the midterms coming up in November, but that's mm-hmm. not when Mike and I are running. Mike and I are running in 2023. And so there there is time. But, uh, hey, Mike and I both, me, me in particular, uh, being in Northern Virginia, this is going to be tough because this is blue territory. And, um, you know, people are very, very left and, and progressive in their viewpoints. Uh, up here and it's going to be a tough battle i don't think either one of us is under any illusion that it will be anything but that but we need your support and i'll tell you what if you like this podcast if you like what mike and i are saying spread this spread this podcast to everybody that you know far and wide because we have to get this message out there and please support the both of us uh check him out facebook twitter you're also on linkedin i i I saw where you're on linkedin as well i'm on linkedin as well and uh I admittedly been kind of lax with my LinkedIn lately. I've, I'm handling all this social media. This is, I'll be honest, social media is not something that, uh, to which I've been, uh, you know, married all these years. So um, it is something that, you know, requires a lot of time. And um, I am going to pour a little more into LinkedIn as well. But, um, Mike, I really appreciate this opportunity to come on with you today. And, and thank you so much. Um, I really want us to both. You know, me and the 28th, yourself and the 33rd, uh, if you, I've been looking and following parent groups in your counties that you're going to be representing mm-hmm. and they're growing, uh, yeah. you know, they're really growing. Those the Fairfax parents, these folks are really motivated and politically active in seeking a leader that speaks to, for them. And so you're doing it, you're, you're hitting it, you're hitting stride right at the correct time. Yeah. So, Let's do it, folks. We can do this. This is a team effort. This is uh, politics is a contact sport, and it requires a team. And we are a team in this, and we're going to do it together. And, and Mike, thanks for coming on. We're going to do this again soon. I, I know we are. Thank uh, you, sir. I hope so. Yeah. Hey, everybody. You guys take care of yourselves. And again, this is Mike Van Meter, the Mike Van Meter Show. Uh, reach out to me on Facebook uh, for Van Meter for Virginia, and. Uh, I will be on LinkedIn. I've not done my political stuff on LinkedIn yet. I'm kind of newer to this than than Mike is. And uh, I am on Twitter, so check me out there as well. Folks, we are going to do this. We are going to make the Commonwealth of Virginia the light, the beacon, and the example for the rest of the country. I know we can do it. You guys take care. Spread this message far and wide. We'll talk with you later. 